Welcome to our podcast. I'm Keith Loy, the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Thank you for joining us. And it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. I want to quickly review. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading the first four verses in a minute here. Uh, I am reading from Eugene Peterson's The Message. There's a reason for that because I think it actually explains it closest to what's going on. It's a little hard to follow. It'll be on the screen here in a moment. We can follow along together. But then I'm going to bring it back to a context that we're used to hearing. And my hope is that God's really going to move in an amazing way. But let me bring you up to speed. Because so often when we read the Bible, we tend to pull things out of its context and we fail to understand that they weren't writing scripture back in. They did have no idea what they were doing. They're writing, if you will, as God's hand and the spirit is moving and they're putting in letter form. They're not thinking years to come. They're thinking the context of the church today and what they witnessed. What happens in Matthew To me, the most, if you will, avoided passage of Matthew is Matthew chapter one, and I contend the most important, and that's the genealogy of Jesus. See, in our world today, we think of family trees as something, well, that's a good thing, maybe, maybe not, but we don't even realize the context of who we are because of where we've come from and what God has done. I love studying my family tree. I'm learning so much more about things that I had no idea, and I think about who I am today because of that. It's crazy how I think, even in the negative stuff, the stuff I need to work on, I understand things better and how it was passed down. And so all of that is important. We learn about Jesus because to a Hebrew, maybe not to us, but to a Hebrew person, your inheritance, what is to come, is based upon where you've been. That lineage is huge because Matthew's trying to help us understand. You need to understand where Jesus came from so you really grasp what you get. And so we get the lineage and then the conception, which sort of puts an exclamation punctuation on it because no one can claim that you got pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus's father is the heavenly father and only God could do that. So here's the lineage. And oh, by the way, exclamation point. It's an awesome moment. Then we get into chapter two and we get a glimpse of the Christmas story. And I'm not going to get into it in a deep way. I'll just keep coming back. We learn about these wise men, these kings, these incredibly well-versed, knowledgeable people that make this distance for years following a star to find the Messiah who is to come. They're not Hebrew people. They're highly respected people. They carry a lot of clout. Sort of to remind us that, listen, folks, I don't care who you become. That's not your identity. Just because your face might be on Time Magazine or you sit in a chair on Shark Tank, you need to understand something. The King of Kings has been born. Your rightful place is on your knees worshiping him. And that's what they do. They don't get ready. They don't clean up. They get on their knees before Jesus. And then, of course, we get the flight then. Herod wants to kill all of the young children because he fears this baby. We talked about that before in this message. And so they go to Egypt, not to run away from Herod, only to fulfill the prophecy because Moses was the picture of what Jesus would become. 
Moses frees God's people out of slavery. Jesus comes to free all people out of the bondage of slavery of sin. Then in chapter three, we meet John the Baptist. Again, he gets overlooked, but we need to understand that the Hebrew world thought John the Baptist was the Messiah. They thought he was the one. His teaching is unbelievable. People are coming to get baptized. They're confused in a moment thinking this is the one. And you remember what John the Baptist says, teaches us our heart. He says, listen, no, 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 no. I'm not even worthy, not even worthy to even touch his feet, to untie his sandal, to even tie it up. The one who's coming is so beyond. And then Jesus shows up. And John baptized Jesus. And one more time, we get an exclamation point. The heavens open up and God says, this is my son. This is the one. And then Jesus goes to the wilderness to be tempted. A very important picture because you and I, that's not our story. It's again to learn about who Jesus was because if you and I were tempted by the devil, we're gonna lose that battle every time. You and I do not have the ability to defeat temptation. Only by the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit can you and I defeat temptation. Cannot be done in human strength. Good luck with that one. You'll fall every time. But not Jesus. Jesus took on the greatest foe ever who is, the enemy. And Jesus was victorious because that's who Jesus is. And then Jesus' ministry starts to grow. People start following, and it's starting to happen bigger than John the Baptist even thought his was. And then Jesus does something. And I don't want us to miss this. I'm going to read it first, walk through, and then we're going to stand and read it. If you will, I want to listen to it, but I want to break it down a little bit. So if you've got your Bibles, we need to learn real quick. Watch this. Just look at the screen if you want. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds... He climbed a hillside. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbs a hillside. He doesn't build a bigger sanctuary. He doesn't write a book and go on tour. There's something about that. I'm not saying that's all wrong, but I sometimes wonder the heart of why we do what we do. Jesus, no. This is the son of God. He says, no, 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 no. He goes up a hillside Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed climbed with him because the committed understand that Christianity is not about comfort and convenience. It's about commitment. Arriving at a quiet place. I love that picture. Jesus climbs until he finds a quiet place and he sits. He sat down and he taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. And I want you to understand this The Sermon on the Mount is not for the unsaved. It's only for those who think they're saved, if I could say it that way. You can't get it. You won't get the man. If you don't get the man on the Mount, you won't get the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God in his rule. And here comes today's verse. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. That's interesting. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. Only then, interesting words, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. If you're not reading in the message, you might be reading from the new international version, very popular, the new American standard, one which I study from. 
New Living Translation, you probably hear it this way. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we're going to talk about this. I'm going to ask you to stand a moment, but let me just say this. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you faced or you're facing. I want you to hear this. When you get the man in the mount, you're blessed. You're blessed. Because blessing that Jesus is talking about is not an outside in thing. It's an inside out thing. Folks, I was blessed before I knew I was blessed. I was blessed all because of Jesus before I was even a blessing to my parents. And she found out she was pregnant with me. I'm blessed. You're blessed. All because of what Jesus Christ is, was, and forever will be. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. I want to read this straight through. We'll pray. We're going to pull it apart. Again, listen to what it says. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Father, we need your help. By the incredible power of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move, you would speak. God, that I would not be seen, I would not be heard, but it'd be your word. And in doing so, may we be as James, that God, we don't just hear it. What good is that? Truth just heard does nothing until it's applied and it's obeyed. So God, may we listen. May all of our hearts right now saying, God, speak, I'm listening. And in doing so, we'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever read something that just didn't make sense, okay? Like two things that we all know that goes together to form a meaning, and the meaning just seems like odd. You've probably heard this. They call that an oxymoron, right? Uh, things like uh, organized chaos. Like, it's like, what? Uh, have you ever had someone tell you something and then someone responds and says, wow, that was seriously funny? Pick one, you know. How about this? Someone gives you something to eat and you're like, wow, that was awfully good. Like, by the way, man, that, that could be an actual good response when your wife cooks something and you says, what do you think? It's awfully good, man. How about this one? You know, a little bittersweet or a freezer burn? Like, what the heck? But sometimes when we read the Bible, let's be honest, it can feel that way. I'm not trying to play that up and I'm not trying to play it down. I'm trying to just be honest. Like when Jesus would say, love your enemies. Like, I just like, like, that's just like oxymoronic. Like you have no idea. What are you talking about? You ever thought this? Well, you're Jesus. It was easy for you. It's just crazy. Uh, like when he says, uh, turn the other cheek. Like, what are you talking about? Especially in a world that says we need to learn to defend ourselves, right? Be a man, stand up. 
Jesus tells us, if you want to be full, you've got to be empty. Or if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Those are all crazy, sort of oxymoronic things that we don't understand. And I think it's the reason why is because we don't get the man in the mount. And I think the Beatitudes will feel this way, especially this one. Blessed are those who mourn. That's why that message on blessing was so important because we tend to think that the blessing comes, if I do this, then I get this. So if I mourn, I get blessed. Like if I lose something that's really dear to my heart, you want me to be happy, Jesus? Like, really? And what Jesus is saying, uh, no, mm -mm. Mm. that's not what I'm saying at all. Because see, you don't understand blessing. That's why you don't understand mourning. You're starting in the wrong direction. Let me, let me help with this. Because Jesus isn't saying that we're to be blessed because of something we've lost or we're to mourn because of something we've lost. We're actually to understand blessing and mourning because of something we've done. Let me say it again. Jesus is not telling us, if you will, to understand blessing or mourning based upon something you've done or gone through or lost. He's saying you need to understand blessing and mourning because of something you've done. You ready for this? You've sinned. And therein lies the problem. We don't like the word sin. We like the word mistake, an error in judgment. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. See, see, the word mourn here means to experience deep, deep sorrow. As if you lost someone you loved. Something tragic, something difficult. He's literally using that word. But it's the word comforted that helps us understand the mourning. Because the word comforted is also said in a very deep, deep way. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. You ready for this? It's the exact same word that Jesus used when he told his disciples he would be leaving. And he said these words, and you want me to. Like, come on, disciples, you need to know. It's better I go away because I'm going to send back comfort. It's the same word for the Holy Spirit that he said that I'm going to send back. The very description. In other words, I don't know what you're going through and how deep it is. I'm telling you the comfort that's coming, greater things that you will do because of him. Now, I'm going to keep pressing this because it's all going to come to light here in a moment. Because it's this understanding of sin, we don't even understand the Holy Spirit. We don't even understand the gift of that comfort because we don't understand mourning. We don't understand grief. We just don't get it because we start with our loss rather than heaven's gain. I got a brother here right now and I'd really encourage you to spend time. I think I'm okay with this, but my friend, Michael Freeman, I love Michael. Many of you know that this past summer he said physically goodbye to his wife. You need to spend a little time with him. 
Because I will tell you that Michael gets this verse in a big way. When his wife died, trust me, does he still miss her? Yeah. Loves her with everything he got. But I love the words he always uses. He smiles and says, hmm, she graduated. And he said, I got to thinking as I'm sitting there. I want to hold on to my loss as if she would be better in my hands rather than his. She's home with God. What better could I ask for for my wife if I love her? True, Mike? We don't understand grief. We don't understand mourning because we don't understand blessing. And I want to help you with this. I want to pull this apart. This is so important you grasp this. Because when you take these two words, understanding comfort and mourning, now you understand what Eugene Peterson said. You're blessed. It's a favor of God. Not because of something you've done. Not because of something you've gone through. You're blessed before you even go through it. Because of who God is. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. I love you. My plans are for hope and a future to give you unbelievable joy. And you start with loss. But you don't understand loss. I'm going to help you with that. Because these are not about us. These are about Jesus. The Beatitudes are a depiction of who Jesus was and what our inheritance would be if we get him, the man on the mountain. I want to help you with this. And I ask, what is most dear to you? Because I'm blessed when I feel I've lost what is most dear to me. For now I can embrace the one who gave me everything who is now most dear to me. What's most dear to you? I'm not asking you to shout out. I'm just going to play with it. Is it your kids? Your kids dear to you? Your marriage, family, possessions? What's most dear to you? Your career? Your identity, which is pretty much all that I just said? What is it? And you're like, Jesus is telling me when I really understand what it means to lose all that, now I can understand what it really means to embrace him. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. It's exactly. Because you and I cannot pick up his favor until we're willing to die to ours. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. Won't work. And then he puts a punctuation on it. He says, you'll either hate one, love the other, or you'll be devoted one or despise the other. You can't have both. See, I've been hurt by people. I'm sure you have too, so this isn't about me. And I don't know if you've experienced what I've experienced, but I, I've been around those people and, and, and they knew what they did. In fact, they were willing to acknowledge what they did. Ready for this? But they weren't ready to admit what they did. That's that's just odd to me. Because what they don't understand is what I'm going to pull apart here. Think about that. I call it the prison of pride. Five freeing words where they could simply say, forgive me, I was wrong, but they just can't do it. I acknowledge I was wrong. I'm just not going to admit it. And and I'll help you with it. Because you're like, isn't that the same thing? Mm -mm, Not at all. I don't know if you remember uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. She had a jealous queen. 
Do you remember what the jealous queen used to say to herself in front of her magic mirror? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Remember that? Catch this. Until you're willing to stand in front of your own mirror and actually admit who you're not, you will never discover who he really is. All you're doing is acknowledging who he is. But you don't understand what he did. You haven't grasped it yet. I'm going to show you a very familiar popular verse. If it's the first time you've seen it, well, it'll become a very familiar popular verse because it's out there all the time. And I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me. It's on the screen. Read it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's like, yeah, come on, right? There's only a problem with this verse. Oh, we love the idea of forgiveness and cleansing. But there's the most important word that gets missed. If we confess. Bible's clear what he will do. But that two-letter word is what I've discovered so few people ever really want to do. They want, they want the promise. Oh, he'll keep the promise, but there's a premise. If he will. If. And that's the difference between acknowledging and admitting. Please listen to this. Sin is sin and there are no shades to it. And all acknowledging does is just tell you sin is sin. Admitting it is when you realized it's my sin that's sin. You ever heard these words? (laughs) Quit making it bigger than it is. You're you're blowing it out of proportion. I mean, it's not like I killed somebody. Boy, I love that one. You know, (laughs) ready for this one? How about this one? No one's perfect, pastor. What does that mean? Those are all justifications. Those are all making light of his cross. We will never pick him up until you're willing to lay yourself down. That's why I say throughout the series, you'll never get the Sermon on the Mount until you understand the man on the Mount. Who's saying what is being said? Ready for this? This will be the most important thing I will say, and it'll bring all of this together. You remember the words that Eugene Peterson wrote? The reason I love these words, because he says it best. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Ready? Here it is. Don't miss this. No one has lost more of, of what was most dear to him than Jesus. He's not telling you that until you understand it, he's telling you you're blessed that this is your inheritance because I'm telling you about me. You're blessed because no one has lost what is most dear to them than me. 
Remember, this was the perfect son of God who did nothing wrong. And he said these words, my dad, why have you forsaken me? Just pause that for a moment. My God, my God. Why have you disowned me? I'm your perfect son. Because we don't understand the blessing in the morning of what is lost. Because anything that we lose is never greater than who he is. See, we need to grasp this. This is so important, people. Listen to what the Bible says. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. God made him. God made him. The Heavenly Father, the creator of all things. This is his son. God made him who had no sin to be our sin. God did that. You ready for this? So that in him we might become God's righteousness. What? The prophet Isaiah wrote, the Lord God has caused the sin of us all to fall on him. But here's the one I don't want you to miss. It's what Peter wrote. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, we are healed. Two letter word again, that's the most significant. Like if it's the word in. And I want to help you with this because what I'm about to say will probably blow your mind. The word in in the Greek comes from the word en, meaning in, which only finds its meaning dependent upon how it's used. For instance, if I said in the ground, that is a physical reality. We know the word in, in the ground, I'm in something, right? I'm in the cave. But then if someone says, oh, I'm in trouble, that's not in as physical, that's emotional, right? I'm going to experience something because of something I've done. The word in finds its meaning depending what it's attached to. In this verse, here's what Peter is telling us. Jesus bore our sin in his body as if he was the one who committed the sin in the first place. Here's what Peter said. If you committed adultery, Jesus went and committed adultery for you. If you murdered some, Jesus went and murdered them for you. He didn't just take your sin in the cross. He became that sin for you. And when we understand that, now we understand blessing. And yet we don't take sin very serious. Nobody lost more what was dear to them than Jesus. No one. That's why we're blessed. We have this divine grace of favor that was given to us because of Jesus. That's why we don't take sin lightly. If we take it lightly, that's why we're not blessed. We don't get it. So I want to read to you from what the prophet said before Jesus was even born, what was said of him. 
It comes out of Isaiah. If you want to look at it, you can. And then I want to just kind of close by putting some skin around this and helping you really grasp this. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It won't be on the screen, but it's Isaiah 53. You're welcome to follow along with me. I want you to see what the prophet said about Jesus. Here's what he writes. And I'm halfway down in verse two. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. In other words, if Jesus walked in this room, he probably wouldn't have like this stunning, if you will, uh, Tom Cruise look, okay? There'd be nothing. You wouldn't even know it was him. Just an ordinary angel. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted, here it comes, with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was so beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That's so beautiful. And yet so tragic for so many reasons because God hates sin and so should we. It killed his son. It killed his son. That's why we don't justify it. We don't excuse it. We don't make light of it. God hates sin. We're to cultivate the same attitude. And what God loves, we're to cultivate the same. That's why we're blessed when we feel we've lost what is most dear to us. Because then, only then, right? I'm going to play with it, but I want you to think about this for a moment. I don't know if you know in the Old Testament, there was a guy named King Saul. He was anointed of God. Do you remember his reaction to sin? There's another anointed king. His name was King David. Do you remember his reaction to sin? Saul made excuses, justified it, and it cost him everything. David was appalled by it, was repentant. And God said, he's a man after my own heart. Which one are you? Because only the person who has broken over their sin is the one that really can understand what it means that they're blessed. (laughs) Let me play with this now. And what I'm about to say could hurt, but I'm going to say it. I think some of you might be sitting here right now thinking, "Ah, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't embezzled money. I haven't lied. But I'm going to share with you something. You may disagree, but then I'll, if you're okay, I'm going to 
Just play with that for a moment. But if you're right now sitting here and there's somebody, if you saw them at the mall and you're like, ugh, you're sinning. You're not right with Jesus. If you had conversations with somebody to put someone in a bad light, if you had a conversation with someone about someone else and whatever you said about them didn't honor God because he made them, you've sinned. You're sinning. If you're harboring any unforgiveness, you're sinning. And you might go, I disagree with you. Then you disagree with Jesus. And he can't be your savior and Lord because you just said that Jesus lied because he said, I'll forgive you as you forgive others. I will treat you as you treat others. I will love you as you love others. For how you love one another will tell the world that you're my true follower. And yet we'll play it down. We think somehow we'll get our feelings hurt. We'll go worship somewhere else as if you can raise your hands and sing a praise song and God's going to hear your worship. No wonder Jesus said, narrow is the gate. Few will find me. You worship me in vain. That's what Jesus said. I know your heart. I judge the attitude of the heart. Jesus said, I don't judge what you think. I don't judge what other people may or may not know. I know. I know your heart's not right. I know you're harboring. I know you're walking around. That's division. I hate division. My followers fight for the bond of unity. They don't leave any gray because there's no shades of gray. They just want to be right with me. They mourn over their sin. That's why they live blessed. Because they know what their sin did to my boy. They don't lighten it. They don't play it. They don't excuse it. They don't justify it. They don't make light of it. They get it. Blessed are they when they realize what is most dear to them. Paul said, I count it all garbage. All of it. My family, my loved ones, all of them, my possessions, my career, my day. I call it all garbage. You know why he said that? Because it's in him that now I know how to love. It's in him that I know how to care. It's in him that I know what I hold on to and what really matters. All of this stuff's passing away. But one day face to face. Oh my, oh God. Is that you? God knows. Blessed are those who mourn. They grieve. That is the man. Let me share this with you and I'll invite the team out. Malcolm Muggeridge was a British author. True story. He tells of a time when he had traveled to India on business and he was walking along the beach when he saw in the distance a woman swimming out to a rock in the water, a place he knew she was probably going to sit because she'd done it before. He'd not seen her up close, but boy, she was beautiful as she swam. It was then he said to himself, I decided in my heart that this was the day I was going to betray my wife and commit adultery. So I dove into the water and I swam out to the rock to be with her. 
As my head broke above the waves, right beside the rock in which he was sitting, I saw the woman for the first time up close. And I was appalled to see that she was a leper. My immediate thought was, what a disgusting woman. And it was then that God struck my heart like a dagger and I realized, what a disgusting heart. You and I will never, ever be changed and be blessed if we see sin as unfortunate. It's only when we understand that all sin is so disgusting and awful that we get blessed. If we confess our sins. Have you ever thought of those words? He's faithful and just. Do you know the word justice? Are you kidding me? He's faithful in justice. Well, dear God, I deserve hell. If that's justice, I deserve hell. And God goes, but I'm not a God that gives what you deserve. When you understand that cross and what my son did for you, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve because I love you so much. You're blessed. You're blessed. Because no one other than Jesus, and I'm not pointing me that I'm Jesus. I'm saying if Jesus was teaching that day, you're blessed because no one has lost more that was dear to him. That's your inheritance. Now you get to understand what's most dear, who's most dear to you. That's amazing to me. My friends, becoming a follower of Jesus begins with grief. A deep, deep sorrow of sin. For blessed is the man who intensely is sorrowed. The man whose heart is truly broken. That man is truly blessed. We're blessed when we feel deeply we've lost what is most dear to us. When we get that, we get this. That it is then and only then that we can be embraced by the one who's most dear to us. What's most dear to you? Mine is Jesus. Nothing else matters. Just Jesus. Starts here. And it goes here. It's an inside thing, amen? Not an outside thing. I hope you will take what you just heard and apply it to your life. If you need prayer or simply want to connect with us, our website is celebrate.church. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We hope you listen again next week.